it's always interesting to volunteer for things, and it is a privilege to be here this morning. Um, by, by volunteering to speak at different groups, I have been um, way ahead of some of the Masters of Divinity students. Um, I've been granted the title uh, Reverend de Schiffert, um, and Chaplain de Schiffert, and although I am a professor at Acadia University as an adjunct, um, I've, I think I've taken a lot of shortcuts to get there, so I'm quite thankful. As I said, it is a privilege to speak to you this morning. I'm reading um, from the New Testament um, two different scriptures to frame uh, what I'd like to share with you today. Romans 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And the reading from the Gospel today, Luke 8, 16 to 18. A lamp on a stand. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen Whoever has been given will be given more. Whoever does not have, even though what they think they have, will be taken from, from them. And I titled my uh, talk today, It's the Heart That Matters. Have you seen it? Have you experienced it? The ongoing transformation by the renewing of your mind, has your heart been impacted by this renewing of your mind? I've been going to jail for the last 33 years. I see, actually looking around, I see some people who have been going to jail with me, and it's good to see them as well. The good news is that they keep letting me out for doing good time. Um, I facilitate uh, the Kairos Marathons that Dr. Charlie Taylor began in 1969. This year will be the 50th anniversary of these circles and probably one of the longest running volunteer programs within Canada in terms of being inside an institution. Charlie did this under the auspice of the clinical, uh, Paso Clinic program at Acadia Divinity College. The Kairos Marathon, in a nutshell, is a spiritual, 
therapeutic healing circle. I've been trained as a uh, professional counselor, not as an ordained minister, but I am a follower of Jesus who attempts to find God in all things. Uh, my theology tradition is from the Christian Reformed Church, and over the last 28 years, I have been deeply influenced by Ignatian spirituality, which is also very much in my home roots of finding God in all things. I've seen much human suffering over the years because of what I hear and see in Spring Hill Institution at Correction Services Canada. I know it's not a favorite place for many Canadians to volunteer or even to support those who volunteer in programs within the jail financially. You and so many others across Canada, across the world, um, might wonder what possible good could come out of this place of such darkness where they've hurt and impacted so many others. Today I'd like to offer a glimpse of the hope that comes into our world because Jesus offered to be with those who are poor in spirit, with even within the walls of an institution. Today is the first day of Lent, Ash Wednesday, it's not all our Christian denominations that celebrate this, and it wasn't part of mine growing up, but it has become a more important piece of, again, um, honoring, again, this, the beginning of the season. And the ashes for Ash Wednesday remind each Christian of Genesis 3:19, For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. To make this become real, I can share with you that I've been to seven, maybe eight funerals over the last eight months, or sorry, three months. So death and dying have occupied my own mind and heart. I'm very aware that the ashes, the dying, symbolize our human frailty and vulnerability. And I've seen those fragile states within those funerals. It seems helpful at times to contemplate human frailty and vulnerability, especially in this season of Lent. Um, I read from authors such as John Vanier, Henry Nowen, Richard Rohr, and many others, and of course, scripture. If we take the time to sit and reflect, our hearts come to understand the frailty and vulnerability of Jesus in his humanity. Believe it or not, going to prison has taught me so much about being fully human and being a child of God. I couldn't think of where I would be without these experiences of 33 years. I have God to thank for the deepening awareness of what we humans are deeply longing for because it becomes very aware of the journey that we're on. I've had to experience, listen to, wrestle with my own humanity in the midst of that place. And it's made a contribution to my spiritual growth. And to understand our humanity, we need to understand context. So because I'm speaking about one context, let me share with you a little bit about what inmates have experienced in their life. This has been through some studies that um, people have done. Inmates often, not all, but come from single parent households. They were surrounded by addictions, alcohol, drugs, in their growing up years. 
Many of them suffered from various forms and types of abuse, be it verbal, physical, or sexual. And these occurrences were common for them in their childhood years. They lacked receiving an emotional display of affection by those around them. Parents were absent physically, and if they were around, they would not have been present emotionally, um, but they were unable to emotionally nurture their children into adulthood. And many, because of these circumstances, responded to their surroundings and the world around them with harshness, violence, and physical displays of anger. And as they were growing up, they had no idea that the world could be a different place. This was what they considered normal. It is not easy being fully human because it means coming to terms with our brokenness, woundedness, and sinfulness, yours as well as mine. We might see it easier in others, but we are called to look at it within ourselves. And in wrestling with my own discomfort about my own vulnerability, I'm drawn to Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. With the renewing of the mind, I'm able to go deep into my heart, which ultimately matters as I seek the place where I belong, where I belong, where you belong, and being able to receive the unconditional and outpouring of the Trinity's love. And in receiving that love, find acceptance for myself being who I am and acceptance of others. This is where the light of Christ comes shining in brightly. In 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, He comforts us when we are in trouble, so we can share that same comfort with others in trouble. We share in the terrible sufferings of Christ, but also in the wonderful comfort he brings. We suffer in the hope that you will be comforted and saved, the words of Paul. And this is why I go to these Kairos circles in the jail to work through suffering with others, others and my own. Working through these things enables me and others to receive the comfort that the Trinity offers. We don't have to even like our woundedness or brokenness. Matter of fact, we don't often, but we are more open to receiving what the Spirit has to offer us in those times. I'm a person that's captivated by light and darkness. Let me reread the gospel reading from uh, that we read earlier. No one lights a lamp and hides it in clay jars or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a lamp so that those who come in can see the light. Therefore, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will be known or brought into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Wherever, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. In my time with the inmates and others who are not in prison, it has become apparent one of the hardest things in life is to uncover what is hidden. 
In essence, it is bringing light into those hidden places without, within our being. Hidden hurts, pain, suffering comes from out in so many destructive ways, shining the lamp on the hidden places. Helps us to recognize what they are and helps us to let go of old wounds. And because of our humanness, we can hold on to old pains and or we don't want to let them go because it becomes part of who we are. And people might say, just get over it or um, don't let the past affect you anymore. Like, why do you carry that on? Charlie Taylor used to say, we are more alike than we are different. We are more alike than we are different, bringing comfort because so many people have seen themselves isolated, alone, because they were different. We are more alike than we are different. And Charlie also said, only love heals. Inmates are often oblivious to what's shaped their well-being or aware of the hurts and aggressions against them and think, Someday, someone's going to have to pay for this, and that's where the aggression, the anger, the hurts come out. Sometimes the memories are decades old, and they keep asking or wishing for revenge. Holding people's faults against them or keeping the hurts against us hidden often creates an impregnable wall. But listen to Paul. For anyone who is in Christ, there is a new creation, the old Order is gone, and a new being is there to see. It is all God's work. I'm thinking of a very recent experience in the Kairos circle. A young man of 25, 21 years was in the circle for his third time. He, after a day and a half of being in the group, stated to the group that he did not want to be dead for 38 years like the other inmate that he just listened to. The other inmate he'd been listening to had spoken about how his anger had cut him off from being who he was and living for 38 of his 43 years. He'd been cut off. This man was 21 saying, I do not want to live 38 years like this because most of his 21 years have been lived like this. In asking him what this meant for him, he told the circle, myself, about his father beating him as a child and being hospitalized after many of the beatings. He didn't understand what the beatings were about. And out of this uh, evolution of, again, um, this relationship with his father, at 14 years of age, he took a bat to his father because his father was attacking his mother. Then at 16, he came into his father's presence and said, Dad, I want to thank you for beating me because you've toughened me up to live life well, to handle all life's tragedies. When I asked him, what his father's response was, he basically looked off into space and said, what I was really looking for was some way to let my father know that I exist. And I thought by thanking him, it would make a difference. 
We went on with listening to him. His responses were short. And then I asked him, would you be able to share this? We do something called an act of imagination at the beginning of the circle the first day. He says, no, I, I couldn't get into it. It's too frightening for me. The first one time I was here, it was, uh, um, it scared me. And so I said, can you describe that? And this is a very abbreviated version, but what he described was being on a stage, imagining himself as an adult, and imagining himself as a young child, being on this stage. And on the stage, there was a trunk. And they were asked to open the trunk and pull something out and spend time with it. He found a machete. He ended up cutting up his younger child. He wasn't clear about what this meant, but it was pretty evident to me that the child within, the one who had been beaten, was, no longer, had, was not being accepted being part of who he was. And he really seemed to be cut off from himself. And then thinking a little bit further, I invited him to say, would you be willing to do a role play? A role play where you get to speak to your father and, and speak about what truly is going on for you. The young man said yes, which surprised me. Third time, very shy, hadn't spoken up. And in doing so, I asked him to pick a person from the circle to be his father. Remember, this is all imaginary, but real to him. We put them back to back in the circle inside the chapel. Sat down, we created the scenario. He was meeting his father. You could have heard a pin drop because so many people have struggled with fathers or mothers or significant others. And suddenly, sitting back to back, the dark emotions welled up within him. He couldn't speak. He started trembling, shaking. He left the circle. He got up, which, of course, the reaction from people in the circle was, oh my gosh, look at the harm we're doing. But instead, he went and left and exited the chapel door. We used to be able to keep the door locked to keep people out, but also in. But because security has changed, they have to leave that door open. I walked out to follow him. The chapel walked out. He just needed space. He needed time. He looked at me, shaking, says, I can't speak. And I said to him, you do not need to speak. Just take as much time as you need. And I walked back in, and there was prayer happening. No one knew, to, knew what to do, but in the midst of that anxiousness and in that um, place in that time, prayers were lifted up. The young man came back into the chapel, we spoke, and I asked the participants to honor the fact that he did not want to speak because he had actually gotten closer to something that he hadn't touched for a long, long time than many people realized. But we also asked others who were engaged in this to um, speak about how this highly charged emotional event affected them. Needless to say, the experience was a huge step for many. We are more alike and we are different. This young man and so many others in the circle were working towards his deeper desire to belong, to be loved, to be made whole and complete again. And God was in that place at this time. 
Another time, about three years ago, I was deeply touched by another inmate. He was new, brand new to the Kairos circle. He listened to the people sharing and several inmates and volunteers spoken and he then offered to speak, which again is kind of a surprise because it's his first time there. He had served Canada in Afghanistan in, in, through the military. He didn't speak about specific details, but he alluded to the horrific things he and his fellow soldiers had seen and experienced. He spoke about how keeping these experiences locked up inside eventually led to a deep divide between he and his wife, his family, his friends, and fellow soldiers. This, this inner divided life led to a life of drugs and alcohol. And he spoke about the cost of remaining in darkness and the, the hopefulness of his slow coming to the realization of how broken he was and how his spirit had been severely wounded and that he desired to move towards the light. By this inmate sharing his experience of PTSD and his willingness to be open, genuine, vulnerable, he drew others out to speak. They told their story because of his deep sharing and they saw his vulnerability as an invitation to shine light on their own darkness. Many felt a lifting of burdens that day by taking off what had been hidden and putting light onto it. They felt much lighter. They also found out that they were not alone. And then finally, the last part of that day, there was a gentleman that hadn't said a word. And when he came, it came time to do a wrap up, he looked at participants and he said only this, you, looking at participants, you may have just saved a life. I often ponder what the world would, world would be like if followers of Jesus helped us or better understood our human brokenness and suffering in our sinful nature, but just because, again, of our humanness. You don't need to go to jail to hear the stories of pain and affliction. Those stories are all around us. They're in our families, amongst our friends, in this student body, the body at the Cato Divinity College, and the body here at the university at large, and in the community around us. And I have a prayer that, for me, comes from sharing with you today. And it has to do with being the first day of Lent, this season. I would like to invite you to reflect on the passion, the suffering and the journey of Christ to the cross. And in reflection upon that, understand that we too carry that same suffering and also desire to be free. That it helps us understand our humanity as well as our divinity. And that we discover that Christ really is within all. I would hope this type of contemplation leads you to a full experience of the Easter resurrection, the letting go. In closing, I want to read a short um, excerpt from one of Henry Nouwen's devotional, which 
I found very pertinent for, again, this first day of Lent and for what I've taught. It's called the true voice of love. Fear is the greatest enemy of intimacy. Fear makes us run away from each other or cling to each other, but it does not create true intimacy. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples were overcome by fear and they all deserted him and ran away. Fear makes us move away from each other to a safe distance or move toward each other to each other to a safe closeness. But fear does not create the space where true intimacy and vulnerability can exist. To those who are tortured by inner or outer fear and who desperately look for the house of love where they can find the intimacy their hearts desire, Jesus says, you have a home. I am your home. Claim me as your home. You will find it to be the intimate place where I have found my home. It is right where you are in your innermost being. In your heart. The more attentive we are to such words, the more we realize that we do not have to go far to find what we are searching for. The tragedy that we are so possessed by fear is, is that we do not trust our innermost self as an intimate place, but anxiously wander around, hoping to find it's where we are not. We, are trying, we try to find that intimate place in knowledge, competence, notoriety, success, friends, sensations, pleasures, dreams, or artificially induced states of consciousness. Thus, we become strangers to ourselves, people who have an address but are never home, and hence cannot be addressed by the true voice of love. Henry now. Amen. I'd like to invite us to pray. And during this prayer, I'm going to give you the opportunity in the silence to pray for those people, those causes, those concerns that you would like to lift up in silence. Um, and then I will close this prayer that I would like to offer for the world with a prayer, one of my favorite prayers, so you may have heard it from me, but it's a prayer from Thomas Martin. Let us pray. Wonderful, loving God, we find ourselves at the beginning of another day, at the beginning of another Christian season, the season of Lent. We do not know what it will bring, Please help us to be ready for whatever, whatever it might be. If we are to stand up, help us to stand up bravely. If we are to sit still, help us to do sit quietly. If we are to lie low, help us to do it patiently. If we are to do nothing, let us do it gallantly. We pray just for today for the needs of loved ones, of family, of colleagues, 
for this world and all the hurts and suffering that's going on. Let us lift them to you at this time in the silence of our heart. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may these words that he taught us become more than words. Send your spirit to inspire us, to give what our loved ones and this world stands in need of, so that together we might love and be loved by you. And the prayer from Thomas Merton. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if this is you, you will lead me by the right road, though I know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me always, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.